starting new series today, and October is a big month around here. Uh, every month, every Sunday, uh, uh, every Sunday I pour, I pray for that pouring out. I really do. I, I just say, Lord, pour it out. Um, it, it's been said that uh, America won't have revival because America is content to not have revival. And uh, I never want that said about me. I, I want God to pour it out. We need an outpouring. Um, i got to be careful because I'm going to get off track here. But uh, uh, listening to a teaching right now in my car uh, on the Welsh revivals and uh, just how God poured himself out. And I'm thinking, God, you've done it before. You can do it again. And we we ask for it. We are in desperate need of it. Um, but October is a is a big month. Um, uh, we have ladies retreat next weekend. We have uh, our uh, Love the Rock Saturday. And if you haven't signed up for Love the Rock, uh, make sure you sign up. If you haven't gotten your t-shirt, you can go get your t-shirt. There's family-oriented um, things for you to do, so your kids are welcome to come and be a part of it, but we need you to sign up. Uh, so lovetherock.com, you can uh, find it and and sign up for whatever you want to do. Some groups are signing up, some uh, small groups, some ABFs together. So whatever whatever works for you. I, my goal is at least 300 at a central serving that Saturday morning. So you can put that down. But also there's other things during the month that are huge. And uh, so I really uh, pray that God will allow us to prepare for whatever he may have for us during this month. And uh, we are calling this series Next Door, Loving, them, Loving Those People That Are Closest to You. And we are, uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10, because we're going to be there in just a moment. But let me... Let me kind of give you uh, something to whet your appetite a little bit, maybe. About 30 years ago, maybe in 30-plus, when we were uh, Northeast Baptist Church was in its infancy, we'd gone over there, and, and uh, we lived in Egger Acres. We've lived, we lived in Egger Acres for 20 years. We've lived where we're at now for the last 16. We're, we're not movers. Uh, we, we're planters, and we plant. And so, but we lived over there in Egger Acres at the time. I had left the office, and I had to come hurriedly home. I wanted to eat with Pam and the kids before I had to get out for another meeting. And so I come home, and there's my neighbor out in the yard, and I wave at them. And they wave back at me. I go home, go in, eat with Pam and the kids. I I hurriedly got back out in my car and left, and my neighbor was still in his yard, and I waved again, and he waved again, and it was like the Holy Spirit just took a sledgehammer and pounded my heart. He said, uh, basically, this is how I interpreted it. It wasn't some mystic uh, voice in my car. may as well have been, because uh, it was like, Mark, you're so busy going to church that you're not being the church. I've called you to love these people and to be a part of them. And so to this day, I'm not a big meter. Uh, I don't want to meet just for meeting's sake. 
because what the Lord was impressing upon my heart is, Mark, I've called you to be salt and light right where you're at, and uh, these people need you, and that's the reason I put you there. And so when it comes to, to neighboring, it's a huge deal for Pam and I. And uh, we, uh, we, we started talking about what we could do to better love our neighbors. And this is what I'm about to say. You're going to say, Mark, I don't know about that. We love Halloween. And now, not because we dress up and spooky and all that kind of stuff. And somebody's going to say, Mark, do you know the demonic part? Of yeah. Yeah, I do. That's not why I love it. I love it because people want to come to your house that particular night. So what we've learned to do is just cut on all the lights. Now, you've got to handle Halloween how you need to handle Halloween. This is just how we handle it. We cut all the lights on. We bring out extra lights. We invite the people to our house. And it's a way for us to touch them how to love on our neighbors. But, you know, when we read the Scriptures, we're called to be salt we're called to be light. We're called to be ambassadors. We're called to be letters that others can read. And as I read these um, things about the church and about me as a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden I'm realizing that I am called to make an influence upon other people. That's the reason that Christ has saved me, not just to go to heaven, but so that I can be an influence to other people. And I remember back in 1997, we were mission-oriented, but not so much mission-going, that Chris Johnson and I had the opportunity to go to Haiti. Dan Snyder was going to meet us down there. It would be our first trip to Haiti, which has turned into a great ministry for us. But Chris and I go, and they we get out to Desalines, where we're going to be, and they say we're going to stay in a compound, which means that it was a place with a gate, a gatekeeper, walls, and then the house was behind those walls. They called it a compound. And uh, sure enough, we get there. They open the gates up. We drive in. They close the gates behind us. You have the walls. It's a protective device called a compound. And and I, I remember thinking in 1997, I thought, man, I'm gr- I'm so grateful for our nation that we don't live in compounds uh, to, that we have to shut people out. Only to realize how foolish what I said was. How many of us come home, we take the little gadget, we push the button, our garage door goes up, we drive into the uh, garage, we push the button, the garage door comes down, we go into our backyards with our privacy fence. We uh, we just lock ourselves up for the night in our compounds. So that why? We don't have to be confronted with those that live closest to us. And it's a deep conviction upon me. It, it, it has been. And so my life radically changed. I was always a kid that even as a, a little kid riding my bike up and down the street, I, I knew every neighbor. Now, it wasn't cordial uh, a lot of times, they, but they knew who I was and I knew who they was. And, and uh, uh, it was just kind of a deal to know every one of my neighbors. 
but there's a couple of things I know. I'm going to get to Luke 10 in, in just a second. But here's something I do know. You know, I, there's a lot of things I don't know, but this is what I do know. First of all, I know this. I'm called to be among people to make a difference. I, I'm called. We're all called to make a difference. We're, we're called to live among people to make a difference. The, the second thing that I know is this, is that love and faith are not adjectives to describe. They're verbs to do. I'm loving I'm faithing. I'm, I'm doing these things and that, that, um, that are action words that I'm living out. I heard a talk this week, an interview with a guy that used to be a monk. He lived in a monastery and, and, uh, the guy quizzing him said, I guess there's not much competition in a, uh, monastery. And he said, Oh, you'd be surprised. He said, You would be surprised at the competition among ourselves as to who could show the most compassion. And I thought, man, that's, that's pretty good, a, com- uh, a, a competition of compassion. So the second thing, I know it's uh, is action. Third thing that I know is this. God, in his infinite way of doing things, placed me in a particular place at a particular time to make this influence. It says in Acts 17:26, you can just write the address down. It says this, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So I sometimes say, God, why did you let me be born in the United States of America? And why did you let me be born to a place that I heard the gospel? Because from what I read in the scriptures, you select not only how, when everybody is to live, you decided their boundaries on where they would live. So God, why did you allow me at this strategic time in history to be here? And, and the answer is all, always the same. Because he has a purpose. And that purpose is to make influence. Luke chapter 10, we're going to begin with verse 25, and let me read it, and then we will break it apart a little bit, and then I have very practical things for you today. I encourage you to jot down notes. I encourage you to uh, stick with me, because I believe God is, is leading us somewhere. Luke 10, 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put the te- to put to the test, in, in other words, he's, he's, he's tempting Jesus not to sin, but he's testing Jesus to find out if he could trick him. He's wanting to set the net so he can trick him. And he, he, he says this, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. I I love how Jesus is setting the trap for this guy. I mean, you answered correctly. Just go and do it and you will inherit eternal life. 
And the guy knew that he fell short of what Jesus was asking. So he says, the scripture says this in verse 29. But he desiring, it's literally demanding, it's a stronger word than desiring, but he demanding to justify himself said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, he set him up, man. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's about 17 miles, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, see, he set the trap for this guy. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is an incredible parable. This is this is in all religions and all thought. This is an incredible parable that Jesus and this is golden. This is golden. I want to. Uh, we're talking about uh, next door. We're talking about our neighbors. So let's break it apart a little bit. Just uh, as we look at this, this man, this lawyer comes. Now, he's not a lawyer in, in the judicial situation. He's a lawyer when it comes to the written law of Moses. He knows it backwards and forwards. So he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to etern- uh, inherit eternal life? You know, I don't get asked that question. Rich, do you get asked that question very often? No. There was something about Jesus that just reflected the kingdom. I mean, everything about him spoke the kingdom. And so this guy says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus just comes back. He's a smart man. What does the law say? And he answers beautifully. He answers, uh, love God and love your neighbor. This It's a beautiful answer. And then Jesus is setting the trap and he said, you do it. And the guy demanded to justify himself, so who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And that's where Jesus went in to the parable right there. And uh, let's let's look at this just a moment. I want to look at the people. First of all, you've got a guy that we don't know much about. We, in fact, we know very little about. He he. Uh, I can tell you one thing. I do know he wasn't the brightest bulb in the bunch because he would not be walking down that road at that particular time, knowing uh, that it was a road that was inhabited by thieves and robbers. he It just lets me know he wasn't that smart. However, we don't know anything else about him. We don't know his age. We do not know his education. We do not know his ethnicity. 
We do not know his occupation. We do not know his wealth status. We do not know his health status. We don't know the color of his skin. We don't know his sexual orientation or political affiliation. We don't know his favorite college team, whether he's an Aggie or a Longhorn. We don't know his religious affiliation. We don't know his marital status. We don't know whether he's been vaccinated. We don't know if he's pro-mask or against mask. We don't know anything about him. We just know the he's guy that has been taken over by robbers. He's been stripped of everything, maybe his animal that he had, maybe all of his wealth. He's stripped of everything, and he's hopeless, and he's hurting, and he's despairing, and he's alone, and he's left to die. That's all we know about this guy. But we know a lot when we think about it. But I think Jesus is setting the point is, it doesn't matter the orientation of that person. It doesn't matter their skin color. It doesn't matter what they feel or whether they agree with you, but they have need. And so the first person that comes along, and notice in verse 31, it, it says a little phrase that you might miss. It says, now by chance. To me, that speaks volumes. It speaks that Jesus is not saying it's accidental. This is a chance. And I think what he's saying to us is, when I call you to serve, it's not a have-to thing, it's a get-to thing. You get the chance to serve. You, you don't have to do it, but you get to. And that's why I created you, and that's what life is all about. And the first person that had the chance was a priest. Now the priest, he worked at the temple in Jerusalem. He may have lived in Jericho. He was making that walk uh, back, maybe home, maybe to Jerusalem. We don't know. But he sees this guy. I, I believe he had sympathy. I, I believe he felt for the guy. I mean, who, who cannot see a person that may be dead or is on the verge of death you can't see them and not have sympathy. So I, I want to believe he had sympathy. However, his assignments at the temple, that if he were to be around a dead body, would make him unclean and he would have to quarantine for a week. Some of you have been there, right? Somebody got unclean with the COVID and you had to quarantine. And that's what he would have had to do. He would have had to quarantine. So he decides to pass by. I want to give the guy credit that he may have had sympathy. I can't read that in there, but I'm thinking you can't see a person that's been stripped and lonely and despair and hurting. You can't see that and not have some sympathy. And then the next person that comes by is a Levite. Now, the Levite was a temple assistant, and so he would assist things uh, around for the priest, and he came by. And uh, from what the writing is here, it would lead us to think he came a little closer. He may have come to the guy and actually looked over him. but uh, And I think he may have had, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is, I just kind of feel for the guy. Empathy is more of a heart-wrenching because you maybe have experienced that before. And so I think he had empathy. I think he's looking on this guy. 
and uh, he he's probably thinking, what can I do anyway? Uh, you know, that's just too bad. And so he passes on by. And then a Samaritan shows up. Now, just so you uh, understand a Samaritan, uh, the Israel is divided up into a northern and a southern area, obviously, uh, from reading the Scriptures. The southern part is called Judah. The northern part was called Israel. Israel uh, abandoned God first, and so they were taken over. And what happened is instead of taking all the people, they left, um, they left the impoverished and this kind of people behind. And then they took other people they had captured, and they put them into Israel. And what happened is, is that they, uh, they married together, and the people, their offspring, the Jews, true Jews, considered them half-breeds. They considered them not pure, not clean. And so a, a Jew would never be a friend of a Samaritan or neighbor to a Samaritan. But not only that, and I think Jesus is getting this point across, that some of these religious leaders would not even be neighbors, uh, true neighbors with all of their Jews. They had to agree, and it became a very narrow area. And that's why the guy demanded, I want to know who the neighbor is. Because, and Jesus knew exactly what he was doing to have this as a uh, Samaritan. And let me ask you this, and it's just rhetorical, obviously, but I want you to think about the group that you are most prejudiced against. And I know somebody holier is going to say, I have no prejudice. But, yes, you do. Uh, I would say, if I dig deep enough, there would be somebody you're still working on to love. And... Uh, and imagine, maybe it's a sex trafficker or, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And you're thinking, okay, Mark, and now we're getting somewhere. But, but that's the way this Jew would have felt towards this Samaritan. He, it would be total outcast to this guy. And, uh, and so the Samaritan, notice what the scripture says in verse 33. I love this. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. Now, you can interpret that, that he entered into the life of this guy. He, it wasn't just observing now. It wasn't empathy. It wasn't sympathy. He had compassion. Compassion leads you to act. And what he did was he entered into the life of this guy Whoever he was, he entered into his life. So entering into his life was going to cost him, wasn't it? It was going to cost him time. It was going to cost him resources because he was going to spend his money to make sure this guy is taken care of. It was going to cost him convenience because he let the the guy that was dying be on his animal and he was going to walk all the way to end however far that that's going to be. Jesus is getting across. If you're going to neighbor, if you're going to show mercy the way that I've created you to show mercy, you're going to have to enter into people's lives. And it's going to be costly. But listen, that's why I created you. I created you for this. And and the way you look at it is this, is that, okay, 
What does the Scripture say? Well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Here's, here's the way I want you to look at that. We are to love God in such a way that our total being, that a demonstration of that love of God is to love our neighbor. So in other words, when you're loving your neighbor, you're showing your love for God. You you need to hear that. Because so often we think, oh, I can love God and not love my neighbor. You don't see that in Scripture. In fact, you read 1 John chapters 3 and 4. He says you cannot love God and not love your brother. You cannot do that. So let me say that again because I want that to stick. Is that... If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, a demonstration of that will be loving your neighbor. And that's what we're called to do. And so this Samaritan, he steps up and does it. And and one other thing about the Samaritan. From what we see in this story, and I realize it's a parable, you can't read everything into it, but apparently he desired nothing in return. Listen, if, I, if I'm going to get paid or a pat on the back, I can pretty much do anything. But are you willing to do something where you're never going to take credit? Nobody may even notice. And that's what the Samaritan was willing to do. And then this is what Jesus does. God, have you ever walked into a spider web? It just drives you nuts. But there's the reason for that is the spider has set the web to catch something. And uh, Jesus has set the web, man. And this is what he says. Who was the neighbor? Man, this guy has to answer. And he says this. Notice what he says. He didn't say the Samaritan. He said the one. He's not even going to say it. The one who showed mercy. And then Jesus just tightens the web okay you go and do likewise you go and do the same oh man don't get into war words with jesus now there's four things that i want you to grab and we're going to talk about this all month so get ready but i want i got four things that i i think are are incredible Because Jesus has just done this drop-the-mic moment. But what does it mean for us? First of all is this. A neighbor is those in need in a close relational proximity. In a close relational proximity. In other words, the Samaritan did not know this man, but he was going to get to know him because he was in a, a relational close proximity and the relationship was going to be established. So who are those in your close relational proximity? Well, obviously it's your family. But second of all, it's those that live around you. But it may be those that you go to school with. It may be those that you work around. It may be uh, people that you go uh, hang out with at the soccer fields or the little league fields or whatever. The people that you are in relational proximity to are your neighbors. And when they have need, you, you are there. It, it's, it's literal neighbors and, and others. Um, you, you never know when you're going to encounter a neighboring moment. 
See, I've turned neighboring into an action word here. Because to be the neighbor, you see the need and you meet the need. Here's another thought just came to me. Uh, Samaritan probably didn't necessarily feel like he wanted to do anything. See, we wait for the feelings to come instead of just being obedient. So, but a neighboring, a neighbor is those in close relational proximity. Second of all is this. True neighboring is love and action. I said love and faith are verb. When we uh, truly are neighbors, we are displaying love in action. We are being loving because that's what we're created for. God created us to love others, and so we are doing love in action. Number three is this. True neighboring is a demonstration of the kingdom. And I'm talking about God's kingdom. True neighboring is a demonstration of the kingdom. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or holy be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus taught us to pray, and his desire was the things that take place in heaven to take place on earth. And how are they going to take place? They're going to take place through you and me. Why? Because we're citizens of heaven already. Now, I know that's bizarro. You're thinking, man, Mark, but I just don't see it. But let me tell you, it's the truth. It's the truth. And you are citizens, you're ambassadors, and so when God uses you to love on those that are in close proximity to you, your neighbors or your workmates or your classmates, what He is doing is, is He is using you for kingdom's sake. And what you're doing is, you're taking a little bit of heaven and you're bringing it right to earth. That's what you're doing. So if you're... Taking notes, close relational proximity, love in action, demonstration of the kingdom, and then fourthly and lastly is this, God redeemed you and empowers you to neighbor. He has empowered you to be the neighbor that you're called to be. Acts 1-8 is a verse, I'm going to quote it, but but you've probably heard it thousands of times, that, that it says that we are, um, that when he comes we we wait upon the holy spirit acts 1 8 and what happens when the holy spirit takes us we have the power then to become his witnesses both in jerusalem judea samaria and the uttermost part of the world the word power there that we have the power literally means enablement what what the spirit does You will receive the Holy Spirit and He will enable you to be a witness. He will enable you to love your neighbor. You can't do it on your own. That's what, that's what this lawyer figured out. Jesus said, do it. He thought, I can't do it. You're right, you can't do it. But I have come to empower you so you can do it. And so, when we think, ah, oh, Mark, I'm, I'm not sure I can do it. Yeah, you were created for it. You were created for it. He empowers you to do it. To love those in close proximity. To 
to love them as a verb, not just say, I love you, man, but to be involved in their life, demonstration of the kingdom, and empowered by God. I end with this. I, uh, you know, we, we as a church, I have never been a part of the Catholic Church. Uh, we, we as a church obviously are not a Catholic uh, church, but uh, some of you grew up in Catholic Church or you still have your Catholic roots and these kind of things. Of course, in the Catholic Church, the head of the church is called what? The Pope. And, and the Pope, uh, through histories, some have been great, some have been evil, but, but the Pope is a representative of heaven, Jesus, to earth, actually. And so that is, uh, they follow what the Pope says. And so I was curious, and uh, you know, I've always heard uh, the Pope, they call him the Pontiff, and, and I thought, ah, oh, that's a strange word. And so I, I, uh, I searched, and I thought, I wanted to know what the word Pontiff actually meant. And so uh, I got to looking into it. The, the word Pontiff in the original uh, Italian language, Latin uh, Italian language, uh, means bridge builder. And I thought, man, that's good. We're, we're to be pontiffs to our neighbors. We are to be bridge builders to our neighbors so that they can cross that bridge and come to know the king of all kings. And that's why he has set us up to do this in a particular time in history right here in this area. And, and we just got to trust Him. God, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. How your bridge building going? Let's pray. Lord, what a great thought that you created us for a purpose. You enabled us for a purpose to love on our neighbors to love on those closest to us. Whether they be next door or they sit by us in class or they work in the cubicle by us or they deliver our mail or they clean our house or clean our office building or they play Little League by us, soccer, dance, whatever. Lord, you've given us tons of neighbors. Lord, we thank you, but we cannot do this on our own. We're too selfish. We're too fleshly. Lord, we need to be empowered and enabled by your Spirit. And Lord, today as I pray over people, I'm praying over a heart shift. Just like I had 30 plus years ago when I waved and you said, oh, it's so much more than waving. So, Lord, convict our hearts today to be about your task. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to ask the elders and pastors just to come for prayer today. Maybe maybe you need prayer. I don't know what you may be facing today. I don't want to miss the opportunity. 
Maybe you want to come to this altar and just commit your neighbors to the Lord, those closest to you. But however God is moving on your heart, you be obedient right now, okay?